You're listening to the Voices for Nature podcast, hosted by Chris Gambian and Jackie Mumford. Good evening. Welcome to the Voices for Nature podcast. My name's Chris Gambian. And I'm Jackie Mumford. Jackie, we have a very much anticipated show tonight. I know, yes. I'm very excited. Talking electric vehicles. Yes. Have you got an electric vehicle? I don't. I don't have an electric vehicle, but I do ride a bike. That is like kind of roots electric vehicles. Yeah, one day, one day. Making our own energy. Yeah. But before we get started, bit in the news. Yeah, that's right. It's been a pretty big week. Um, Pretty exciting stuff, Um, particularly for the school strike for climate students. Um, Just today we heard that they had a pretty exciting win um, in the Australian Federal Court with the the case they took um, the Environment Minister, Susan Lay, to court uh, over the Vickery coal mine. and, you know, they didn't get an injunction on, over that decision with the, with the mine, but the court did say that the minister has to take into account the future of those children when making a decision about coal mines. I mean, this is a fantastic legal victory, but isn't it extraordinary that uh, the kids have got to go to court to get uh, the government to consider their futures That's right, when yeah. making a decision? You'd think that this would be like the first art, like no matter what party you are, the first kind of article of faith mm. when you mm. get elected to parliament should be, well, what are you doing for the current generation? But more importantly, what are we doing for the next generation? Yeah, yeah it's a pretty um, scary time when you have to have that sort of, have that precedent set in law by, by having, you know, people under 18, um, children, you know, go to court to sort of have that precedent set. Um, you'd think that elect- elected representatives would be thinking about the futures of, of um, all Australians, but unfortunately... Um, you know, that wasn't really the case until, until this week. Now, speaking of elected representatives. Yes, a uh, big week in the Upper Hunter as well. Yep. yep. Um, and a big week for the Labor Party in New South Wales. I hear they're looking for a new leader. Do you know anyone who might be interested? Yeah, I think you'd be great. I think you should consider going for it. I mean, this is amazing that um, uh, as Felicity Wade, who people would know as a former Queensland director of the Wilderness Society, current national convener of the Labor Environment Activist Network, was in the Herald today, making, I think, the very well-made point, which is that um, Labor went to the Upper Hunter by-election running, really, the Joel Fitzgibbon playbook. Um, Coal miner candidate, um, absolutely reinforcing the you know, the importance of the industry, mm. um, even sometimes engaging in that kind of ridiculous culture war, yeah. um, but still ends up with a loss. Mm. Um, but the, the Nationals have really got no right to be crowing either. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, you know, we saw the, almost a division in the, in the Conservative base as well. Like the National Party's vote didn't go up. Um, they've, you know, they've obviously won the seat again, but you know, two weeks ago here on the podcast, we were speaking to Warwick Jordan from the Hunter Jobs Alliance, who was talking all about the amazing economic opportunities for diversification in the Hunter. Um, and unfortunately, we just didn't really see that conversation playing out in the in the conversation around the by-election. Yeah, that's right. It seems to me that the, the community have kind of moved on and the political class have missed the point mm. about some of this debate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not just the political class, you know, or the, the members of the National Party in New South Wales. Um, you know, internationally this week as well, we, we saw the International Energy Agency saying that developed countries like Australia should not be approving fossil fuel projects beyond 2021, which is also quite stunning. It's stunning. And luckily, our federal government, the great climate champions that they are, stepped up to the challenge. They're and on board. They put aside $600 million for a gas-fired power plant. Uh, and of course, they were able to find that money in the, in the budget, I'm sure. 
This is, I mean, this is an extraordinary story. $600 million for a gas-fired power plant that nobody really thinks is ever going to be used. That's right. Ten jobs. Um, so the whole kind of jobs rhetoric, mm. it, it, even that falls mm. flat. Um, but then there was this extraordinary, I don't know if people caught this, but this extraordinary exchange um, in the Senate in, this week with Senate, yeah. uh, Senate, Senator Jenny McAllister, New South Wales Senator, uh, asked what should have been pretty, pretty obvious question. Pretty straightforward question. Let's have a look. Can you confirm that this $600 million was in the budget uh, as a decision taken but not yet announced? And if not, what, where can I identify this expenditure in the budget? Just give me a moment, please, Senator. So, old mate here ruffles around in his papers for pretty much two solid minutes. Sorry, Senator, Sean Sullivan, Deputy Secretary. Um, uh, we'll have to basically get that and get back to you as soon as possible as to where that, where that is inside the budget papers. You are yeah. kidding me. Can you can two solid minutes and uh, don't so, know where's the money? Don't know. I'm um, sure I left it. Maybe it's under the couch. You might have dropped it somewhere along the way. Those things. People it's only things. 600 million dollars. Yeah, I left my wallet at home today. Yeah. You never know. 600 million you know, between and friends. Again, like the timing couldn't be worse. Really, like we saw another school strike for climate on Friday last week with over 50,000 kids around the country coming out specifically on the issue of gas, saying we don't want a gas-led recovery. Um, so the writing's really on the wall. Absolutely. The other thing that the writing's on the wall about, of course, is electric vehicles. Uh, I got to have a ride in uh, one last week, and uh, I've got to say, they're pretty, they're pretty good. Quiet. That was my first impression. I've only been yep. in a Tesla once, and I just, yep. I didn't even realise the car had started. <laughs> I grew up on a six-lane highway. So the thought yeah. of um, cars that slide past with no sound and no pollution, mm. frankly, sounds like a dream come true. Yeah, it really does. Um, but before we get to speak to our um, wonderful guest, Bayard, tonight, yes. Chris, yes. I am going to test your knowledge on electric vehicles. Yes, because I lost the game of rock, paper, scissors <laughs> yes, on who gets right. to ask the questions this week. Yes. And you have been in a Tesla more recently than I, so true. surely your knowledge that is, is, true. is uh, superior. So, in which country are 56% of all new cars that are sold electric? 56% of all electric of, of all, all new, new cars, cars are electric. Are sold in It's got to be in Europe somewhere. I'm thinking Iceland? Not quite. Norway? Yes, Norway. Ah, Norway. Yeah, 56% of all new cars. All's forgiven about the whales. We've got yeah, the cars that's now. That's right. Yeah, right. We're, we're into the transition. Yeah. Please don't write in about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which country was the first to put an internal, internal combustion engine phase out into law? Um, that would have to be the UK. Nope. No. <laughs> Second guess. <laughs> No, I can't. I'll give you a hint. They're very good at baking croissant. Oh, really? The French? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Phase, the phase out of... Um, this is not going well for Old me. petrol cars, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thankfully, you're in the right place. <laughs> Our guest is going to help you out a lot tonight. Um, and which country currently has 47% of the global electric vehicle stock? 47% of the globe. It's definitely not Australia. 
I'll give you a hint. It's a different continent altogether to the, the first two responses. 47% of the... Is it the US? It's China. China? Yeah. Well, there we go. So I, I think, think we it's, yeah, our it's probably time to ask an expert some <laughs> questions about EVs. <laughs> Uh, they had from uh, Jeffrey from the Electric Vehicles Council is uh, joining us tonight. We're so lucky to uh, have. Come on, come on in, yeah. There you guys, how are you? Hey, thanks good so to have you me. here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, home. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, it's great to have you here. And so you get to advocate for electric vehicles pretty much full time as a job. What, why, what, you know, why advocate for EVs? What's the benefit of electric vehicles? Yeah, look, so many reasons. I mean, of course, there are the emissions reduction and the environmental benefits of them. But for Australia, really, for Australia in particular, even if that wasn't true, we have so many great, great reasons to move across. So, you know, we are talking about a technological transition that moves from engines and fossil fuels towards not only using electricity, but using that electricity inside of batteries out of mm. critical minerals that we make here at home. So again, it, another really great economic opportunity for us to stop importing fuel in this country, start generating more renewable energy and also powering, using that to power things like lithium that we dig up here and send around the world. So how can we expand onto that to doing things like building batteries, building cars, building chargers here? Mm. I mean, we saw just today, in fact, one of our members, a company named Tritium, a Brisbane-based name company named Tritium that uh, manufactures charging hardware, just announced their listing on the NASDAQ for a multi-billion dollar valuation. Now, there are so many more of these really great success stories for Australia to have. Uh, all, we, you know, all we have to do is put our shoulders behind this industry and it can really skyrocket. Yeah, that's so exciting. What are the... Um, so, I think electric cars are kind of interesting technology in and of themselves, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of the interest, obviously, is the emissions reduction. Yeah. Can you talk us through a little bit about what is the kind of benefit? If we did manage to transition the transport fleet, what does that mean emissions-wise? Yeah, I mean, we talk quite a lot about electricity and our you know, coal-fired power plants running our electricity sector. So after electricity, the next largest source of emissions in Australia comes from the transport sector. In New South Wales, that's something like 22%. Across the country, it's almost 20%. And of course, as we get more and more renewable energy, you know, the source of the emissions from electricity goes down and transport goes up. So in places like the ACT, for instance, the majority of their emissions now comes from their transport sector, but they're still burning things like petrol and diesel to move people around. So really, you know, we do start, we have the answer to that now, mm -hmm. right? And it's the technology is in a place where it's not the solution for absolutely everything across the transport sector today, but where we can couple that with things like building our cities in ways where people can walk more, where people can ride their bikes more, like you, uh, like you said you did, uh, as well as moving our things like trucks, buses, and the rest over to renewable energy, those renewable energy sources. And what whatever's left, helping people shift their cars over to you know, clean electric vehicles. So, if the technology is in place, as you you know you mentioned, and in our little quiz we heard earlier, how far you know how far ahead some countries around mm. the globe are, what's holding Australia back? Why don't we see more EVs on the streets around here? Yeah, I think what's really common for any new technology is you want your market to send a signal out to the private sector to say, come and invest in our country. And that investment in electric vehicles looks like come and bring cheaper electric vehicles to our market, so not just luxury ones, but more affordable ones that people can afford. And when you talk about a country like Norway, it's not like they're all buying luxury you know, cars like Tesla's. They're buying $30,000, dollars $50,000 cars, sort of mainstream price cars. A lot of those aren't available in our market. You know, the signals that we're sending are telling private investors, go elsewhere, go to places like Europe, go to places like uh, China. And a lot of that's informed by the policies that government set. 
So when you say after a certain date, for instance, you can't sell petrol and diesel vehicles here anymore, you know, for sure, okay, well, start investing in this direction. Let's build more charging stations. Let's get our bus fleets going electric. You know, let's get our rideshare fleets going electric. Um, when, you know, we do none of those things here in Australia. So Talk about buses going electric. Yeah. Famously in the 2019 election, um, when Labor had a policy of 50% of mm. new cars being electric by 2030, um, it was derided by the Prime Minister who said, oh, well, you know, it'll be the end of the Great Australian mm. Weekend because all of us who sort of tow our boats and tow our caravans and all of that, well, you're not going to be able to do that. And, and I guess the government managed to dress this up as a car tax. Mm. Um, what do you say to that? I mean, look, I think people are smart enough to know that any new technology, you know, they start off expensive, only very few people have them and then they grow. Where do you think about, you know, computers, laptops, mobile phones, everything else. So you, know, you don't need to get too worried about how much are people being fooled by the silly things politicians say. I think they've sort of learned to tune out a little bit you know, <laughs> from, from that. But like I said, the bigger concern that we have is, you know, you have governments right around the world sending very positive signals to say, we want to go in this direction. There is this new great technology, we want to support it. We want to in fact support it to you know, to the extremes towards 100% so that there's no other option made available. And then you get this, you know, one aberration in, you know, one corner of the world saying, actually, we think it's terrible and it's going to end the weekend. And so similarly, while we're trying to attract that change, you know, trying to not be global laggards in this change, actually trying to lead it and, you know, get some of those benefits for ourselves, it's you know, really unhelpful to have a national leader come out and say mm. very, very, very silly <laughs> things. I do suspect if they... I think as that government, if they'd realised that they were going to remain in government and now have to be dealing with industry and trying to attract investment to the country, they probably would have chosen their words a little bit better. I think there was a little bit of, uh, you know, political sort of political circus around an issue that where there shouldn't have been one. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Travis and see have happened at the time, but here we are and, you know, trying to do better in the future. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned that, you know, the importance of government policy and that sending signals mm. to the market. And we saw just recently the Victorian government have introduced a tax on electric vehicles. Like, you know, is it fair that, uh, that electric vehicles should have to sort of pay for road use just like all other road users? Yeah, look, I think there's a sensible long-term discussion to have about whether it's things like, uh, you know, regulations in our electricity system, for our building codes, you know, for, for how our roads work in the future, as well as for tax reform, to talk about things like road user charges. Yeah, big concern there is electric vehicles are 0.1% of the cars on our roads. You know, our argument to Victoria, like with the rest of the country, is spend these next few years, spend this decade actually supporting the change from mm. petrol and diesel towards electric vehicles. Have your long-term plans, mm. signal them by all means, so these things are certainly coming, but you put an orderly transition in place. You know, you, you do things in the right order. And of course, if you do those things, then you're going to make a lot of tax money in the future as well. So it's, there's a bit of a win-win there. Mm sort of starting this conversation off by saying, look, we are, you know, we've got countries like Norway who are at more than 50% of their cars being electric. Around the world, the numbers are on average around 10% of new car sales being electric. In Australia, we're still at 0.7%. Less than 1% of our cars wow. are electric. And we're the only ones saying we'll make them more expensive. We'll add new taxes onto them. So what's the flip side? So um, taxes obviously disincentivise, but if you were going to uh, incentivise electric vehicle take-ups. Mm. And what have countries like Norway, Iceland, some of those um, European countries done to, or China for that matter, done to incentivise take-up of EVs? Yeah, look, there's a mix of sort of short-term and long-term actions that you take and they're carrot and stick measures, right? So there are 
regulations, some places call them CO2 standards or fuel efficiency standards, about 80% of the global market for new cars has one of these standards in place. To put this in context, the United States first passed theirs back in 1976. Jimmy Carter was the one wow. who implemented this. It's 2021 and Australia doesn't have one of those standards. So, you know, for global car companies, it's sort of like arriving to a market that doesn't have roads yet. It's sort of a very strange thing. But what it basically does is it says you have to make your cars more fuel efficient and emit less pollution over time. And if you don't do that, you face penalties. But the good news is, if you sell zero emissions vehicles, if you sell electric vehicles, we'll make it cheaper for customers to buy them. We'll remove some taxes or we'll provide rebates. And generally around most of the developed world, that's about $10,000 worth of rebates at a national level. To say, look, electric vehicles cost more like for like. There's a premium of about thirty dollars to $15,000 when you're buying an electric version of, you know, of an alternative mm -hmm. petrol vehicle. So we'll reduce a bit of that, you know, not all of it, but we'll reduce a bit of that. We'll help get the market going, you know, particularly that sort of first 2%, that first 5% of the market moving. And then from there, we can let, you know, there's a bit of momentum, we can let things take over. Mm. In that sense, I suppose it's not that different to solar panels, mm. you know, like I guess 15, 20, 30 mm. years ago, right. solar panels were heavily incentivized uh, until the market sort of got going. Catch up, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Look, this is, you know, it's a plan that has worked with electric vehicles around the rest of the world, but you know, what we do in the Electric Vehicle Council, I come from the electricity side of this, we just line for line stole exactly what worked through solar panels. And so we can do this again, this time just with vehicles. Mm. So, you know, it's not like I'm a genius. <laughs> we just looked at the playbook that has worked here for technology in Australia, that has worked right around the world for both things like solar panels and electric vehicles and said, well, everybody else does this and they're successful. We don't do it and we're not successful. So. It's a really mm. simple equation here, yeah. right? Yeah. We have yeah. to do the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what about here in New South Wales? Like, what's mm. the state of play for electric vehicles in New South Wales? Yeah, look, I'd say particularly a lot of our workers, of course, working with governments to see what they can do. And like with the rest of the clean energy world, state governments are stepping up to say this should be a federal government responsibility. You do want to have national coordination around these issues. But in the, you know, with the lack of that, what can we do? Where can we start to step in and fix these things? Um, New South Wales, I think, is, you know, a, I always sort of leave the New South Wales government with a smile on my face. They're a government that, you know, right across the country, we have state governments where I, when I sit with ministers who acknowledge that electric vehicles are fantastic. They're going to provide a lot of benefits. We want to see them happen, and we'll do some stuff to help them along. We'll build some mm. charging stations and the rest. The, the really good news in New South Wales is we often have a government that recognises they have a really important job to play to realise some of those benefits. It's not a hands-off approach. It's not a, you know, let the market, let's see how the market acts by mm. itself. Um, that is unfortunately something that we have at a federal level as a let's just let the market decide mm. and of course the market has decided we get less than one percent of our mm. cars electric um, you know and the real impact of those things of not taking that action is consumers just don't get the choice of electric vehicles that they do mm. everywhere else yeah and so there's those you know those incentives that you talked about mm. like um, taxes or you know whatever yeah. it might be that that actually incentivize people buying electric vehicles but what are some of the practical, you know, planning pieces that are missing? Like mm. if I was to go out and buy an electric vehicle, I don't have a garage, I'd right. have to park it on the street, I don't have yeah. anywhere to plug it in. Like, what, what would you like to see in planning policy to sort of make it a little bit smoother for more people to, to be able to drive EVs? Look, I mean, again, this is where those long-term goals, like when a country like the UK says all of our cars are going, new cars are going to be electric by 2030. It provides a type of certainty of, you know, in your situation, if you if you have to park a car out on the street, if you have a car at all, there are options there. People can build charging stations, you know, either new charging stations that can attach them to your existing light poles, they can put charging stations in shopping centres, for instance, 
all of these things have a technological fix. What you've got is companies saying, well, should I invest in building those things? Are the electric cars coming mm. in this country or not? We know for sure they're coming over, you know, in decades to come. The global market's made that decision up for us, but we know what the trajectory is in the UK, in Europe, in the USA, in China, everywhere else, because we've got this plan set up for us. Mm. We don't have that in Australia, so are we going to see that spike occurring now, five years from now, ten years from now? You know, and that, of course, you know, holds back investment, and we are talking about companies that say, I can take my money somewhere else. Yeah. I can take it to Europe and spend it there instead. It's not like I'm landlocked here, right? Mm. What do you say about uh, heavy vehicles? You know, um, we talked, I guess, a moment ago about buses, yeah. but when you're talking about, you know, big trucks on the road, um, tractors, you know, farming equipment, there's all sorts of mining equipment. Um, is it realistic for those to be electrified uh, or is there some extent we're going to have to accept that diesel is part of the future? No, look, I think there are options for all vehicles. Where we are today is cars, uh, vehicles like light trucks, for instance, buses, even mining vehicles, the, the technology is there, right? They can go electric. And in fact, in most cases, whether we're talking light trucks, buses, vans, they're actually cheaper to run as electric vehicles today. And you know, there's a useful segment because we can sit down with fleet managers who have spreadsheets and you know, they don't buy cars because they like the look of them or the feel of them. They, you know, they try to make sensible decisions based on the numbers and they can see that yeah, they're more expensive to buy, but they're so much cheaper to run that over our operations, they're actually cheaper for us to run as electric vehicles rather than petrol or diesel ones. Um, it's then moving up to that next class of sort of very long distance, very heavy sort of B-double type vehicles where we start to look at maybe electric's the option or alternatively maybe hydrogen's the option for those. You know, the technology's sort of most of the way there. It's not you know, completely landed yet, but again, yeah, it's not like we need to rely on fossil fuels for a portion of our transport in the future. It's just letting the technologies that are already invented develop further and reach scale so that they're cheap enough to take over not just even road transport, but even when we move into areas like shipping and aviation and all the rest, there, you know, there are alternatives. There are zero emissions alternatives for all of them. We're just trying to make them cheap enough so that they can take over the market. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned range there, and mm. we were just talking a little bit earlier about the, you know, the range of the different sort of models of electric cars mm. you can get. Um, you know, Australia's a big country. I like to drive up the coast and, you know, those kinds of things. Like, what's the range of electric vehicles and, you know, are we at a stage where there's enough sort of availability of charging stations mm -hmm. or are people, you know, if I was to buy an electric vehicle in Sydney and I wanted to, you know, go up the coast for the weekend, like, am I going to, is my battery going to run out? How, how does that, you know, where's the technology at in terms of that? Yeah, look, I think when you look at electric, there is a bit of horses for courses, like with all cars, for, with electric vehicles, you can get the electric vehicles that have ranges of around 250 kilometres per charge. And you know, if that's your need, if you're driving around the city and that's all you need, that's all well and good. That next group that have ranges of sort of 450 kilometres up to 600 kilometres, you know, ones that are not here yet in overseas that have around 800 kilometres, all of those exist as well. Um, and yeah, particularly in those most, uh, you know, the tourist hotspots, you know, the sort of most driven routes, we do have companies building out those charging stations and they're really great future-proof charging stations as well, mm. right? So the, the electric cars of the, you know, some of the ones of the present, but all of the ones of the future, they're cars that can recharge in a 10 to 12 minute time frame, or wow. you know, at the latest part, sort of 15 minute time frames. Um, and we've built those charges in Australia. So I guess one of the benefits of being a bit slower than everyone else is we've built the best stuff mm. <laughs> right away. So yeah. yeah. So in 15 minutes, you could recharge for up to 250 kilometres. Well, with those vehicles, it could be a yeah. Uh, you could have a you know 
longer recharge than that as well. So 15, you know, 15 wow. minutes and you're getting sort of 300 odd kilometers. Again, the limit so far has been that electric cars actually can't receive that level of charge. Yeah. So it's only, uh, you know, cars like the Porsche that can receive that level of charge at the moment, but we're about to get something newer, Hyundai Ionic, that can mm. receive that level of charge. So again, it's a, you know, the cars are continuing to improve and fortunately the chargers that we've built are able to provide them with that too. Um, but it, look, again, all of these things are quite circular of mm. can we have, and you know, we obviously need to have hundreds of more charging stations built. And much like with petrol stations, you know, what does the person building them want? Customers. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. so the more they can understand, not right now, but in a year from now and two years from now, those customers are coming, the more of those that can be built to. Yeah, well. One of our member organisations, uh, Shasa on the South Coast, um, is you know, very interested in electric cars. Um, we had our regional conference there last weekend and uh, they've got a, um, a Nissan Leaf as a sort of demonstration car for people to you know, have a test drive and see what it's like and of course it's very popular. One of the things they have said is that in regional areas, um, you know, they need charging points in sort of unlikely mm -hmm places because you know if you're in a town like Braidwood or some of those towns where just to physically get out of the town to other places you're going to need a bit of range. Um, what's the kind of I guess the trade-off um, in terms of the cars themselves between range, cost, size of battery, emissions, all of those different you know what, what sort of things do we need to be keeping an eye on? What I'd say is, as I mentioned, so you get cars that have 250 kilometres in range, ones that have 450 kilometres in range. And the way that you get more range out of an electric car is to put a bigger battery inside of it. And so to get a bigger battery, you need to build a bigger battery, you need to dig up more resources in order to get a bigger battery. Uh, so I think the really, and of course, the battery today in the electric vehicle, it's the new part, right? It's the new technology. So if you've got two cars, you know, a electric car that's $15,000 worth, $50,000 or one that's $65,000 is usually more expensive because the battery is bigger inside of it because that's the most expensive part of that car. It's about 50% of the cost of building right. the car comes from the battery. Uh, so I think the really good thing to consider is not just around the cost and the range of it, but really what it is that you need. You know, it's a great example that you've got you know, uh, down in the south coast, but we quite often hear this from people who just live within cities to say, well, I think that I need 500 kilometres in range. But if you actually take a look at how much do you actually drive your vehicle, you know, how long do you drive it for and how long do you drive it for any one time so before it gets back to somewhere where it can charge, you probably actually don't need that much. You know, I, uh, I often say people, people who don't drive electric vehicles spend a lot more time thinking about things like range and charging times than people who do. <laughs> it's honestly, you know, I know how long it takes to charge an electric car because of my job, but I don't know what that as a driver because I get home, I plug my car in and I go inside and play with my dog and the car's charging itself. You know, it's not something you have to think about. Mm, yeah. You, we were talking before about New South Wales government, um, mm. you know, and, and sort of the role that state governments can play. But the next election that we're expecting in New South Wales is the local government elections right. in September. What role do you think local government plays or what should we be asking, you know, candidates to sort of, um, what would you like to see them pitch um, around electric vehicles as, we, as the election approaches? Look, the really good news is that we find local governments are probably the most ambitious and enthusiastic to get on with electric vehicles. You know, so it's usually local, state and federal governments that are really acting on this. And I imagine that's because they're closest to their community and that's where they see that people are actually excited about this. It's not a sort of abstract policy issue for them. It's about service mm. delivery and it's what their people want. So look, two main things for them is they all have a you know, fleet of vehicles of their own. They should all be electric ones. And whether it's 
And when I talk vehicles, I mean everything from garbage trucks, for instance. You know, we have an Australian company that builds electric garbage trucks. No reason why they shouldn't be electric ones. Even if you're outsourcing them to a to, you know, private mm. contractor, you can tell them, hey, have a fleet of electric trucks picking up our garbage, yeah. please. Your light vehicles, of course. You know, we often find when we do work with, whether it's companies or local governments or others, we'd be surprised if there isn't some 10 to 20% of their light cars, just their general cars, that aren't cheaper to run as electric already. If you just mm. do the maths on it, right, of how far are you driving it, how much do you drive that vehicle? So look at those things. But then also for your community, you know, where you can provide out education and information about how electric vehicles mm. work to them, that's really important. We find from our consumer surveys that you know, more than, bit more than half of people say they would like to buy an electric vehicle as their next car. But after they've spent some time researching what car, electric cars are capable of, that number jumps up to about 80% of people. Wow. So it's usually just tackling some misconceptions. And then, of course, looking at places that, you're, that you as the council own where you can provide charging stations for people like you mm. who don't have places that they can charge at their own homes. You know, do you have city centres, libraries, and other areas? And can you partner up? You, know, you don't have to do it all yourself. Can you partner up with mm. private industry to say, look, we'll let you build a charger here if you come and, you know, if you come and invest and install mm. it? Yeah. So if, if government would do the sort of one or two things that the Electric Vehicle Council really thinks needs to happen yep. as a matter of urgency, what are those, what are those things? I think in the, the long-term policies, you have to have a target in place. You have to have a CO2 standard, a fuel efficiency one, um, or a target for how many electric vehicles you want on your road. That provides sort of long-term planning, you know, investment planning for, for industry to come and respond to. And in the short term, just over these next few years, remove some taxes from electric vehicles or you provide customers with incentives to buy electric vehicles. That does two things. The very obvious one, making something cheaper, more people buy it. So you know, that, that makes perfect sense. But also that's the thing that really importantly says to industry, come and bring particularly your cheaper electric vehicles to our market. Now we spend a lot of time looking at the UK market for a number of reasons, but they're a very large right-hand drive market. So they're really influential for the cars that we get. There's another right-hand drive market. If you look at that price range, the sort of mass market for new cars is between thirty and sixty thousand dollars. In the UK, they have some thirty-two models of electric vehicles available in that price range. We have four in that price range. So it's you know you're having these policies in place before customers even get a chance to react. You actually just get more options to choose from. You know mm. you're, you're starting to stimulate investment in the type of cars that people can afford to buy inside your mass market. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the price range there in the UK. Mm. Here, if you know, in Australia, if somebody was looking to buy an electric car, what should they look for and what would you expect to pay? Look, I'd say, first of all, like, be honest with yourself and have a think about how long do you actually drive? What are your driving habits like? You know, the things that we know about cars, in general, private cars particularly in general, is that it's usually the second most expensive thing that a, house buys after their, a household buys after their house and that you actually don't use it some 95, 96% of the time. A lot of the time it's just sitting there doing nothing. You know, so if you're imagining in your mind, you know, what if I want to drive to Perth and back tomorrow? Mm. I think, be honest, when have you ever actually done that? <laughs> the answer is probably never. Uh, and then, so then have a good think about, well, you know, are the 250 kilometre options the right ones for me? Do I need something uh, more than that? And then also just, you know, spend the time really thinking around, you know, the biggest concern that we get from people is they take too long to charge. You know, I want it to be as fast as petrol. You have to remind yourself that, it's not like petrol, you're not standing by the car while it's recharging, you know, you're not holding a nozzle anymore, you're plugging in and walking away. And if your car's doing nothing 95% of the time, well, that's a lot of time that you've actually got to charge. You know, I often say that my car can't charge slow enough. 
So <laughs> sleeping for eight hours, um, you know, doing yeah. a lot of other things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, you know, and then I guess that final piece is a electric cars are for sure they're more expensive to buy up front today, but they're also about the fifth of the cost to run. So then think about you know, how much are you actually paying throughout the year for things like petrol and maintenance. Mm. And you can reduce that bill dramatically by shifting over to an electric one. So try to think about that entire cost, particularly if you're going to hold on to the car for a number of years. How much is it going to save you over those years? Yeah. Bayhead, thank you so much for joining us. It's thank been uh, great. Uh, at the Nature Conservation Council, we've decided to start campaigning around electric vehicles. So we certainly want to work with you and support you in the, the work that you're doing um, to try to shift government policy because, as you rightly said, um, we've had a lot of progress in the energy transition and whilst that's not finished, we mm. can't afford to wait until that's finished okay. to start looking at the other sectors that need to transition as well and that's mm. why it's such an important uh, area and there's been a lot of interest just in the few weeks that we've been talking about it that, mm. um, that people want to see that transition sooner rather than later. And so many opportunities, like once you start sort of looking into it and, and mm. you know, the things that you're talking about in terms of incentives and how much state government can be doing, it's, it's quite exciting to think um, sort of, you know, where we are now and where we need to be. And I think, you know, we can probably get there quite rapidly. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again tonight. Um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, Jackie Mumford, it's still tax time. So uh, if uh, at all you can chip in to support our work here at the Nature Conservation Council. Uh, please do. We know times are tough, but everything that we do is only possible because of the generous contributions of uh, people uh, who chip in whatever you can. It really makes a huge difference because koalas grow on trees. But money does not. And if you're Tesla and you would like to send us a free car, yes. we would totally take it. We will proudly drive it. To or yes. anyone, really. Nissan, Hyundai, anybody yeah. who wants to send us a free car. Yeah, that's we right. have no cars in our fleet. Yes. You and if you would like to donate to the um, NCC Electric Vehicle Fund, yep. you can head along to nature.org.au slash donate. We are, we are ready to be a 100% electric fleet with right. one, one car. Yeah. <laughs> We'd get that job done. That's right. And as always, if you would like to hear back uh, this episode, you know, listen back to this episode or listen to any of our previous episodes, um, you can do that. You can watch on our YouTube channel or you can listen to our podcast, Voices for Nature, uh, if you search Voices for Nature on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, can you chip in to help us be the voice for nature? We rely on donations to keep being effective, loud and independent. Visit nature.org.au.